And welcome everybody to FSU Coach Live. My name is Tim Baghurst, joined uh, today with a special guest, Heath Esslinger. Heath, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. If you wouldn't just give us a little bit of your background and how you got into what you're doing today and what you are doing today. Well, Tim, th one, thanks so much for having me on. It's a treat. I'm super passionate about coaching and, and parenting and, and this whole athletic journey. It was instrumental in my life. It wasn't because my parents, uh, it was never important to my family, uh, mm -hmm. but I kind of just started, started out on this athletic journey and got to spend a whole lot of time in it. So spent about 20 years in the coaching profession as a, as a high school coach, a high school head coach, and then had an opportunity to be a division one head coach at the university of Tennessee at Chattanooga for nine years. And so uh, on that journey, just realized um, there were some inadequacies, uh, not because people didn't care, but because we just didn't have a plan uh, when it came to coaching. When I resigned at Chattanooga, my sport administrator said, why are you so passionate about doing what you're doing. And, and I told him, I said, I got a high school head coaching job and a great friend of mine just simply said, good luck uh, mm -hmm. when they hired me. And then I got a division one coaching job and a great group of people. Uh, and pretty much they just told me, good luck, you know, figure it out, you know, screw it up and, and we won't have your back. And so I really just set out on this quest of how can we help some of these young people that enter the coaching profession uh, do it and do it well, because I think we have capable people. I just don't think we have equipped people. And so I, I started a company called the better way athletics, where we do athletic director training, coaching development, and parent education. We believe all three are important. Leadership is about alignment. And so how do we create alignment, uh, in vision and language and in all three of those so that the beneficiary of those things is the child. We all say we love so much. And so that's how I got to where I am today in a short, very concise answer. So what does your day look like? What do you actually do within your business? Well, so we offer online virtual training for parents, coaches, and athletic directors. And then obviously we offer live trainings. You know, that's the part that's the most fun when you go. Yeah. But, but we also know that, you know, time is a person's most valuable thing. Uh, obviously, we kind of all have a lot of time right now as we're quarantined in our homes. Uh, but so we really, we started out as a live training, uh, you know, business where we go in, spend two days with coaches and athletic directors, mm -hmm. but realize one, it was very costly for them. Uh, and it was time consuming to find two days for every coach in your athletic department to have is very, that, I mean, it seems easy. Uh, and I guess if it's enough of a priority, you'll make it happen. So we created an online virtual training system where one, we could get to more people, but also we could, it's a slow drip. You know, one of the things we say is if, if the sports world is really sick, if the sports world in essence has cancer, mm -hmm. well, when you have cancer, the doctor doesn't give you your entire chemo treatment in session one. The treatment itself would kill you. And so what we said online, we can offer some things in a slow drip, continuous education uh, where we're constantly reminding coaching coaches, parents, and athletic directors of really what is most important and how do we do this well? Uh, how do we put some systems in place to, one, protect our, because it is, I mean, the coaching world is, I mean, you are you are driving a very expensive car uh, with very little insurance in, in essence. And so how do we help the coach protect themselves, but also how do we help that coach provide an experience for every young person that's under their care to look back and go, I'm better because of that experience. Mm. 
So to, to kind of recap, this isn't a one-time quick fix. Let's come in, let's patch up some, some deficiencies and hopefully you're better, but it's this model of continual development of slowly getting better over time. That creates a, a requirement for commitment to, to what you're doing. Do you, do you see any attrition there? How do you ensure that the people who are buying into the system that you're offering as a, a coach developer kind of stay with you the long term? Well, it's, I mean, you, you, Dr. Backer, you've probably seen too, the ones who need it the least usually are willing to stay with you the longest. Uh, mm -hmm. But, but I think one is, is I, I feel like we've done, we've tried to do a very good job of speaking the coach's language. Uh, you know, putting our, I always say this, the key to a great culture is empathy uh, because empathy says, Hey, I'll put myself in your shoes. So for parents, they have to put themselves in the coach's shoes for coaches. They have to put themselves in the parent's shoes for athletic directors. They have to put themselves in all these different shoes. And so I, I really feel like we've created a, a, I don't want to call it a product, but a, an opportunity for coaches to see that we're putting ourselves in their shoes. I don't think this is just something that you just educated out one week a year. Um, and I don't think, I do think there are times where you just patch the hole. I mean, listen, if I'm in a canoe and it begins to sink because of one hole, I'm not going to be unwilling to patch that hole. But when I get back to land, I may want to reevaluate my canoe. And so what we're challenging coaches with is, Hey, what could you reevaluate? And, and this time right here, I mean, I yeah. would have begged for, I, I keep telling coaches like you have been given a sabbatical to look in the mirror and do an honest evaluation of what you're doing well, what you could do better and where you want to go from here. And so we've got to utilize this time very wisely where we don't have an opportunity to develop our athlete's skill or their abilities, but we have an opportunity to maybe implement some things that would cultivate what we call their qualities, these long haul attributes that really matter. And so that's where that's kind of what we believe is, is our, our, our mission and vision is simple. We want to restore the joy of sport for parent, coach, and athlete. I'm a parent of four. Uh, I, I've, I've been a coach and coaching is extremely difficult in this day and age where you're compared to everyone uh, and your worst is compared to their best. And I'm also a parent of four and I know that parenting is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. And so we, we really want to come alongside both of those entities and help them do this journey we call life well within the athletic uh field so i want to i want to kind of pull back from what you do now okay and go back to what your experiences are as a coach because those often tell a lot of a lot of stories and provide a lot of knowledge to people who, who may be watching now or, or watching in future in terms of things that you learned along the way mistakes that you might have made and successes where you found this is this is something that works. So tell us a little bit. You were a high school coach and a, and a collegiate coach. What were the differences between coaching those two levels? Well, I, I always say this. I, I don't think there. Well, one, I feel like high school coaching was harder. Uh, you know, I tell I tell people all the time. You can go from a high school coach to a college coach, but sometimes it's a shock to go from a college coach to a high school coach because, listen, when you're a high school coach, you have bus duty in the morning. You're doing cafeteria duty. You're managing a classroom of 30 plus kids, you know, four, you know, four to six times a day, depending on your, what type of scheduling you, then you're having practice, then you're taking kids home after practice. And, and so just the dynamic of, I mean, I love high school coaches because I believe they're some of the greatest difference makers 
in the world. And so, you know, from a from a dynamic and schedule uh, deal, it was different. But I always say this: at the end of the day, whether I was coaching high school or middle school, or or I was a divi- I had an opportunity to be a Division One head coach. It was, can I get a group of people to buy into a vision, and can I understand where we are, and get us to where we need to go? And so, from a from a strategy standpoint, it didn't look a lot different. Now, from a maturity standpoint, for me, year one as a high school head coach, you know, year seven or eight as a division one head coach, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I realized the longer I was in coaching, how little I knew about coaching. And so uh, that that's probably the one thing, the one mistake I think that as I, as I went in, and obviously everybody wants to win. Uh, I get so sick of people saying that. I just want to win. I'm like, so does my eight year old, but I've never seen him get up at five and train. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, the, the thing I think, and, and we, we do an entire session on this with, at a better way is, is I, I want, when I first got my, my first head coaching job, I wanted to have a great team and there's nothing wrong with having a great team sure. as long as you don't sacrifice a healthy program. Mm. And so I think if I could have had someone tell me like, Hey, flip that around, create a healthy program. And over time you will lay a foundation that will give an opportunity for a great team. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a lot of times we work so hard to have a great team. And what it does is it causes us to sacrifice and, and go against maybe some of the things we truly value and that are important as we lead young people in this. Can you, can you give examples of, of where you, didn't make that distinction. And, and so the program suffered for the sake of a win. Well, I don't know that it, I don't, I, I, I was very fortunate. I was surrounded by unbelievable people, man. I, I have been fortunate to have so much wise counsel in my life. I don't know that it was for the sake of a single win, but sometimes here's what's hard for coaches is man. And oh, it's so difficult is we do value that child. I do believe that most coaches truly value that child, Mm -hmm. but we can value that child to a point where we begin to make decisions that aren't best for, it's just like a parent. As a parent, I don't love to watch my child struggle, but if I'm not willing to do so, I set them up for failure later. Mm -hmm. And so I let them struggle early. And so I think that the mistake was is instead of making hard decisions, um, quickly and firmly and sticking to the plan, you waver just a little because you want what's best for the kid. You want the outcome of the, you know, you'll hear coaches say all the time, well, if, if sports don't help them, then who is? Well, but you also have to show me what is sport doing to help them? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I use the term sport prostitution all the time that we have these kids that are super talented and we almost pimp them out for their abilities and because we get so busy, like coaching skill, we forget that there's a human back there. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what happens is they have these gifts and skills that get them to a room that their character won't allow them to stay. And so as a coach, I feel like when I first began that, although I knew it was important, I didn't have a game plan to develop it. And, and coaches, I was on a call with 100 coaches from Russia the other night, 1 a.m., no joke. It was awesome. I mean, all sports. And, you know, they asked me, well, what's the key? I said, there's two keys to making this 
like stick. One, you have to put it on your calendar and you have to build it into your practice plan. If you say that these things are important, if, if stopping a certain offense is important, then we practice the defense it takes to stop it. I mean, it's just, that's not brain surgery. Every coach in America does that. If cultivating a young man or a young lady who can walk on their own two feet in this world that's not going to apologize to them one day or bail them out is important, then we build it into our plan and we put it on our calendar frequently to make sure those things are happening. And again, I don't think it's that coaches aren't, that they don't care. I just think we get so busy, it gets neglected. Well, maybe they just, uh, there's never been an intention to reinforce that. That's it. You know, it's, I have coach values. I have a core philosophy. I can kind of articulate it, but I've never put it up on my wall. I've never told my athletes what it is. I've never uh, had them hold me accountable to it. Uh, it's it's some of these things that I see a lot with coaches. You're right. They they care about the athletes, but they don't necessarily know how to articulate how they reinforce those values to those athletes. Let me let me back up. And by the way, if you're watching and have a question, please do post in your chat box, and and Heath, I'll be happy to share them with Heath and and get them answered. But I want to go back because you talked about creating a culture in your program. And, and so I wanted to ask you, what specific strategies did you use to, to develop that culture? Because like we just said, it's easy to say, oh, I have a philosophy, but then how do you actually get that shared with people and get them to buy into it? Well, one, I, I believe you have to write it down on paper initially for yourself. You know, So we believe everything starts with a, a, a mission and, and it's easy. It's easy to write a mission statement, but you have to have something like what's the driving force. You know, if I'm going to go on a trip, I have to decide on my destination. There's a, there's a guy named Andy Stanley who wrote a book, the principle of the path. And the principle of the path is this direction determines destination. Um, I, I live in Cleveland, Tennessee. If I want to go to the beach, I pack my car and fill it up with gas and tell my kids we're going, but I get on the interstate and go 75 North, you know, we're headed to Knoxville and Cincinnati, not, you know, not, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. And so at some point you have to set the course. And I believe what sets the course, it's just like a compass. I believe my mission and my values of my coaching, like this is what I believe. And I think the mistake a lot of coaches make is they will say, well, that coach's values sound good. And this coach's values sound, and they never make it their own. It's not their conviction and belief. And so for me, it was very important to say, Hey, here is what matters most to the program that I am going to lead. And not every program has to be led the way I lead, but these are the things that are important to me. And then what it does is it sets the course uh, for where you're going. So like a, a, an important value to me, even as a division one coach was balance. Like I wanted our athletes to have balance. Uh, I think these athletes are squeezed so much uh, in so many different directions, whether it be academically, socially, athletically, all these different things. So I wanted a program that created balance. If a kid had an opportunity to go and serve in the summer on some sort of mission trip, I wanted them to go and I wasn't going to make them feel guilty about it. Uh, I realized that I wasn't that good of a coach that the week or 10 days they took to go there was going to be the difference in their career. Uh, I realized I had to check my ego at the door there. It may be, it was, hey, they go, they get a break, they come back hungry, and they're a lot easier to feed and coach. And so part of that is I think the first step, and it's the first thing we teach to, to coaches and athletic departments is, hey,
hey, what do you want your athletic department to be about? You can call it mission statement, vision statement, compelling why. I mean, we can label it a thousand different things. But what is what is your – where are you going to set your GPS coordinates? And then what are the values that are going to be the fuel that kind of push you there? And those values become the filter in which you make decisions. True story, one of my former athletes, great guys, actually coaching Division One right now on Twitter a few weeks ago, he said, hey, five best things you did, five worst things you did, or five things you wish you could do better. And so at about year seven in my t- or six in my tenure, we had had a, a lot of success. I mean, success is relative, but we had had a fair amount of success. And uh, But you always want the next level of success. It's right. never enough. It's, it literally is a drug. And so, right. you know, it was like, okay, well, we're going to have to go after the next level recruit and we're going to have to do these things. And, and, and for the first time, I wavered a little bit on the type of kid I wanted in our program and what I was going to hold them accountable to. And, mm-hmm. and Tim, I'll be honest, there were a lot of people that said, hey, man, it's just the day and age. Like, that's just kids today, whatever. Yeah. But here was the thing. There are a lot of coaches that coach those kids well. It just wasn't my value. And so when I wavered there, one, it hurt my confidence as a coach, and it just hurt my my morale, you know, yeah. because all of a sudden I wasn't moving toward the coordinate that I had set for our – we were going to be the nicest dudes on campus. We were going to be the most well-spoken. Every yeah. single – person on that campus was going to talk about like the wrestling, like, Hey, these guys are unreal. And it was a reflection of the leader. Well, then all of a sudden to get the next level of success, people start telling you, well, you got to do this. And so listen, I'm not talking like waiver this much. I'm talking when you waiver this much, it's, it's just like a, line a little bit, just a tiny bit. And I'm not even saying it's right or wrong. You just have to know what you value mm-hmm. and you have to trust that over time it will work. And um, I think a lot of coaches, the squeeze, I mean, I met, I do a lot of work with staffs now and I always say, don't let the squeeze get you, man. Like if you are, if you are wavering, you call me. And, and I, I, I really believe in wise counsel. I have a good friend, man. He's, he's a partner with me. And, you know, I would call him and, and I would say, listen, man, I don't know what to do. And he would say, you do know what to do. You just don't want to do it. Uh, it's just a hard decision. And so you got to have people in your life that are super, super willing to be honest with you and know. I, I have a little ebook called, I haven't released it yet. We're trying to get it out. It's called the, uh, the, the Cheat Sheet, A Coach's Guide to Sustain Success. And one of the little chapters in there is protect your inner circle. As a coach, you have to protect your inner circle. You have to surround yourself with people that they don't, they don't divide you but they're willing to oppose you in a gentle way to bring you back to where you, you, you need to be. And you have to trust those people. And there's not many of those people out there. I'll be honest. Mm, yeah. Going back to switching from high school to college, you said that in, in many ways it was easier, but you didn't, most people would go from high school maybe to an assistant coach, right. Yeah. And learn the ropes. Yeah. And you went into a head coaching position. Yeah. I'm curious what that was like and some of the challenges associated with that with with quite a different jump to you know assistant to a head. Yeah. And, and I mean, if I'm being honest, the sport of wrestling is a little bit different. It's not as I'm working with some football programs right now, and it's just so high profile. I mean, right. But when you start getting mass amounts of money involved, it's just it's a different bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and but to whom much is given, much is expected. So obviously, I I had competed at the school that I was coaching at. I had been an assistant there for two years, you know, eight years okay. earlier, and so I had a little bit of experience. But mm-hmm. I was also smart enough to say, you know, I, I, we often tell young people, "You're the sum of the five people you surround yourself with." Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Well, mm-hmm. what's true of a fourteen-year-old is true of a forty-two-year-old. Uh, it's the same. It never that never changes, and so. Man, I, I'll be honest, my, my first uh, six years at Chattanooga, I was so fortunate to be surrounded by some of the greatest people. Um, and, and, you know, when you're surrounded by great people, those great people move on and do different things and get head coaching jobs. And so I was really spoiled in that first time, uh, those first six years. And then, um, you know, so it was almost in those beginning stages, it was the honeymoon. Everyone was so excited and we were so committed to changing the face of the program from a cultural, um, how people viewed us standpoint. I did not want to be the, Hey, we're the tough guys going around. You know, right. if, if you want to be the tough guy, then then prove it by being here every day, doing what you're supposed to do, taking care of your business, graduating. And we, man, we just saw so many improvements in so many areas. Um, but then again, you, you know, you kind of, you lose your inner circle, you, you start feeling the squeeze of, Hey man, it's time to go to the next level. And so, listen, I am super passionate to help coaches kind of trust the path that you're on, uh, continue to lay a solid foundation. And if you get there, great. If you don't at least look back and know, Hey, you, you, you know, you you laid a, a strong foundation. One of the things that, that, I regularly talk about is just ethics in coaching mm-hmm. because we talk about how we can just change the line just a little bit and then it's changed forever. It's hard to bring it back. Yes. Can you give examples where, where you've had to make ethical decisions uh, as a coach and you know, how do you now train coaches to maybe make those decisions themselves when they come across examples that they'll experience in their lives? Well, if you've ever seen that show, uh, what, what's the show where, where they ask the questions and you can phone a friend? Uh, who wants you know, to be a millionaire? Yeah, who wants to be a millionaire or whatever? I, I always, I always tell coaches this, man. You better have some lifelines out there that you can seek counsel with. You do not need to trust your emotions. Uh, the best human on the planet can get caught up in making some, again not right or wrong, but just gray area decisions. And, and listen, the, the athletic world, unfortunately, we're living in a gray area um, in, in the athlete, even we're parenting that way. And sure. we're parenting in the gray area. You know, one of the things truly about 12 years ago, I, I heard a statistic. It was actually a study. You may have read it, but it was like from 1984 to 92 it was this moral reasoning study that looked at the longer a kid's an organized sport, the less likely they are to make a good moral decision. And so the longer your child has to be in sport, the less likely they're making a good moral decision. So I really set out to say, I'm going to be a part of the problem or a part of the solution. And so in that, I would say the, the most, you know, we deal with like, so a hot topic today is concussions. Right. And so predetermined, like, and you can ask, Matt Tipton was my trainer. I had some awesome trainers. He's now at the University of Virginia. Um he was, when I resigned, he, he moved on. We had a great relationships. Now we fought it out at times, but you know, it's not that I was afraid to voice my opinions, but when it came to certain issues, here's what it would be, Matt, you make the call. I don't want to be involved. Mm -hmm. It was just easier that way. 
And so sometimes you have to remove yourself from the opportunity. If you do have to make the decision, you make sure you seek wise counsel in making that decision because the worst thing you can do is to let the outcome that you think could, could or could not happen dictate that decision for you. Let those values dictate that decision. And so, again, I'm a huge fan of counsel. Did, if, if we go to kind of look at recruiting, because that's obviously something you had to, to learn to do very quickly as a head mm-hmm. coach, do you then recruit people who you think will fit within your value system? Or are we trying to recruit people who might be the best athletes and we can teach them a different way? And I'll give you an example of, okay. of an athlete I worked with who um, maybe doesn't see a problem with cheating because it's the referee's job mm-hmm. to identify whether I've uh, you know crossed the line or not. And so a challenge for me is how do I then change that athlete? I, I can't uh, essentially train that athlete from when they were five and teach them morals and values and the right thing to do. This is who I've got. And now I need to educate that person. This may not be the right way to do this um, for a variety of reasons, morally, sponsorships, other things uh, mm-hmm. are at stake. And so I'm trying to show him the, the reasons why this might not be the case. Do you, when you go to recruiting, is it, is it, well, let's go for these kind of people because we know they'll fit in our system and they'll be good moral kids and work hard and all the things that you've mentioned. Or are we going to take a risk and bring in somebody who's very um, athletic, has a chance to be very successful, and we have an opportunity to change them? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I did both. Uh, okay. On the front end, I probably did l- less of both. I did more of, hey, here's a kid who fits into the style and mm-hmm. the direction that we're moving. Uh, mm-hmm. It worked way better for me, mm-hmm. uh, honestly. Because again, at, at night, to, and first and foremost, l- let me say this, like if you have a child that's under your care, it's your obligation to make them the best version of themselves. Sure. They don't all come, right? At, they don't come in just at this perfect place where it's blind obedience, complete trust, like coach, everything you say is right. But as a, as a coach who got to recruit, I did look for kids with certain attributes. You know, were they humble? Were they appreciative? You know, would they, did they want to, did they, were they, were they comparing to everything else or would they buy into, we could accomplish something great here? So I think you, you look for those attributes, but the reality of it is, is we're all coaching humans. Like these athletes, they were picking me in our school in essence too. And I'm a flawed human. I mean, I got a lot of issues and a lot of, you know, things that, you know, you don't share those things on the recruiting trip, you know, you don't sit down and say, Hey, here's all the things I stink at as a coach. Um, but they are to be revealed at some point it's going to, it's going to uncover. So I think not just looking for certain kids, but looking for qualities. I I always said this, if, if a kid, if the soil was fertile and they were coachable and they were willing to receive feedback, not even, you know, today everyone talks about, well, kids can't take criticism. It's not just, they can't take criticism. They don't even know how to receive praise. I call it feedback. Like I don't want my children to just take criticism. I want them to receive feedback, process that information, seek help if needed, and then make the next right decision. 
And so really looking for kids that you thought could do that. Uh, when I began to waver on some of those things, again, it was hard for me, personally for me. I didn't do a great job. But I know coaches out there that do a great job with kids that are a little bit more on the fringe. I mean, they really uh, have a great way of, of helping them. And, and again, we want to help those kids, but you know, I think that starts much younger. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm very passionate about preaching that message of, hey, from about six to 13, you better capitalize on developing their moral compass, their, you know, even some of their emotional intelligence. Because after that, it gets harder and harder to break those habits. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I want to be respectful of your time. So if anyone wants to ask a question in the chat box, feel, feel free to do so. But take take a perspective of where you are right now. You, mm -hmm. you work with coaches, you, you train them, you provide support for them. Where do you think coaches need the most support in today's current society and based on your knowledge of having worked with so many of them? Man, where do they need the most support? Or, or what advice do you have for coaches who are coming up in the profession, you know, so that they don't need the support later, maybe? Yeah, I, I think they, they probably need help just predetermining some of the tools they're going to have to use, you know, and, and this zero to do with skill, you know, zero to like, hey, what, how are you going to handle assistant coaches? Um, how are you going to talk to your athletes? You have to predetermine that because when you're mad, your your language can change really quick. So you predetermine, no, this is how we speak. It's almost, we call it a social contract. Um, and so I think just helping them get ahead of the curve, what happens in the sport industry today is we're always putting out fires. Uh, there's always going to be fires. There's never going to be a life without fires. I mean, if you have a family, whatever, there's always fires. But the goal is, how do we minimize their frequency and their intensity? And by creating a good strategy and a system and predetermining much of what we'll do, it gives us an opportunity to prevent and minimize the intensity and, and the frequency of those fires. And so um, how to, you know, I think a big one for coaches is how to invite parents on the journey, you know, especially at the at the younger levels and the, and the high school level of how do we get parents on our side? Uh, if you don't define the standard, they will define it for you. That's also true for your athletes. So helping co coaches define the standard that's important to them and what they value. And then how do we communicate that to parents? You know, most coaches have a parent meeting and they tell them they got a work concession, sell thousand coupon cards, do two car washes, have their kids there seven days a week. One day's voluntary though. And then, <laughs> But then you're not allowed to talk to me about your child. Well, that's their most prized possession. To me, I'm not afraid to talk to parents about their child. Like, it's important. Uh, now, I didn't do a lot of it because I feel like we did a good job of communicating with our parents. Um, but sometimes when we don't communicate and we don't invite them on the journey, man, it just gets ugly so quick. So helping coaches know how to communicate with, with parents and athletes and, and I would certainly add in a professional way too, because a oh. lot of coaches don't have the communicate communication skills that they need to to even just send out a professional email, for example. Where hey, you you may share something funny with you. Do it. You want to hear it? So this yeah. is so we do a lot of role plays in our uh, in our coaching, and so we have a model we use called the core model, and so. 
how you run a practice, how you send an email, how you send a text message, how you communicate. The first thing is you always celebrate and connect with the person. Whether you like them, love them, hope, can't wait for them to graduate, you choose. It's a habit to celebrate and connect with them. So we, we were doing a training, and so we did a role play where, and I'm looking it up here, where the, the, the scenario was this. All right, Friday night football game, you, you win pretty big. Saturday morning, you get an email from a mom of one of your players, and the email says this. Coach, great win last night, but not sure, not sure why you didn't let any of the second or third string guys in. You say that team is one of your core values. Why don't you practice what you preach? Well, as a coach, you want to say a lot of things to that mom. Like, hey, I don't tell you how to run your family. Don't tell me how to run my team. You know, take a hike, maybe even some more intense things. So we let the coaches give an emotional response. If you could say whatever you wanted, write it out and then we make them give a response based on our model which is it's just a habit and so this was a second year volleyball coach who who gave this she said uh this was the incorrect answer by the way she said thanks for your concern but i've been doing this a long time and i realized that it must be easy to sit in the stands and criticize without fear of judgment but i'm going to make it easy for you you can take your Madden playing Monday night football, watch an unathletic family and concentrate on playing chess. Just be glad you're not having to wash his uniform. Thanks coach. Now to be on that's over the top, but I know coaches who say that in some way, shape or form. Now listen to her correct answer. And so a correct answer is based on habit. It's not based on emotion. Uh, emotion will most oftentimes get us in trouble. And so, Here's the correct answer. So the first thing we do is we celebrate and connect. We organize an outline. We reflect and review. And then we always end with encouragement. And so the correct answer is this. Thanks for your concern. I completely understand your response to the game. I think so highly of your son. He's got so much to offer our team. However, due to our opponent and the pace of the game, we just didn't think there was an opportune time to switch up the lineup. I, however, do realize that the point spread was significant. And I, in the heat of the game, may not have realized it. I will in the future be more mindful and try and work players that didn't get as much playing time during the game. You are exactly right about those opportunities to grow our younger players. Your son is going to continue to grow and improve on this team. I look forward to seeing you on the sideline. What she did is just, she validated the child and then she invited the parent in the boat. Whereas a lot of coaches we're kicking them out of the boat. Well, we need them. And so we are super passionate about how helping coaches see how to do that. Uh, how do you run parent meetings? How do you send emails? You know, uh, right. all sorts of things that maybe we could talk about at a later date. But, uh, it's, it's great stuff and, and so important in, you know, just a, a normal daily life as a coach. And there's so many different almost entrapments where we can make a mistake and then we pay for it for a long, long time to come. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I actually wrote a coaching ethics textbook that you know, wrote a story in there where the title is, it just takes one where you make that one mistake and you pay for it potentially for the rest of your career. And so we need to be thoughtful in how we, we approach these situations and have a plan as opposed to, as you just talked about, just react to the situation and, you know, having that, those core values, having that philosophy, that plan, that program guide you allows you to make those decisions in a framework Rather yeah. than how do I feel right now? Ooh, how should I react? Um, yeah, so good. 
Keith, thank you so much for joining me. I, I'm sure that uh, people watching either now or, or in the future may have questions for you uh, or want to follow up with you. What's the best way to do that? Man, they can email me at heath at a better way athletics.com. Uh, would love for he hear from them. They can go to our website at betterwayathletics.com. We have some parent education already up on our virtual training tab that we're in some school systems all across the country. It's been awesome to see just the people receive it. Uh, yeah. I think people are hungry to do it differently. I, I agree. I agree. And um, thank you. Thank you once again for, for joining me. Just a reminder, tomorrow, Buster Hagenbeck will be joining us, a lieutenant general. He's the former chief of staff for the U.S. Army, also happened to be an assistant football coach for Bobby Bowden. So I'm excited to see him uh, coming up. Also, once you remind you of what's coming up next or the rest of this week, Heath Esslinger obviously is today, tomorrow Franklin Buster Hagenbeck, and then Wednesday, Dr. Peter McGehee is in charge of women's soccer at St. Leo University. Al Light is with the Cirque du Soleil. I'm interested to see how they train their artists slash athletes. And then we round out the week with Jennifer Hyde, the head coach here at Florida State University for women's tennis. So, um, Heath, once again, my, my thanks to you and, and thanks to all of you watching and hope to see you very soon.